Oh, come on. Oh, here's what? a great one. Whilst you're thinking about okay. how bad that joke's going to be anyway. Yeah, you ruined it. Um, what was it? Um, why did the Norwegian admiral decide to put barcodes on the side of his ships? Why? So, thank you. <laughs> so when he, when he went into docks, he could Scandinavian. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. What do the German police officers say to the tummy button? What? You're under a vest. Oh. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to Maker and Creator, the podcast about creativity and culture and how it affects us. My name is Jai Smith, and I'm joined, as always, and twice this week by Alex Adams. Hello, happy hump day. I know. Oh, it's hump day. It's hump I day. always forget that. It's mm-hmm. wine day. Mm. Today is a Wednesday wine day. We didn't drink wine yesterday, but we're drinking wine tonight. Mm. Yes. Very good. So last, well, yesterday, last week for everyone else, we broke one of our cardinal rules, which is let's not talk about what we do all day. <laughs> um, but then also we realized that there's a lot of interesting things that we probably haven't had the chance to explore um, because we have been avoiding it. And today I'm really excited because I get to interview somebody who I've known for a very long time, who I get now get to publicly say thank you for everything you've ever done for me, both in life and work. Uh, probably my second public thank you of you, actually, come to think about it, uh, which is Ian Rumsby, who is not only the Chief Strategy Officer for Weber Shamwick across Asia Pacific. That's still your title, right, Ian? That is. That is. One of them. Yeah. One of them. And Chairman mm. of Australia, which mm. always sounds like of Australia. Mm. Um, <laughs> so old. Yeah. Uh, who, <laughs> who is also uh, an incredible photographer and I believe a maker of a few other things which we're going to get into. So welcome to the pod, Ian. It's a pleasure to be here. Is this your first podcast? It is. Oh, ah. I think exciting. it is. So it's a new experience for me too. <laughs> the first time. I know. Creativity in life. So um, Ian, you've had a really interesting path to, and I don't think too many people know this story because I, I suddenly realised that I'm one of the only people who know it, but your path <laughs> into the creative industries and kind of as a career was, was a bit interesting. Can you, can you tell us about that? Well, I don't know if it's interesting. It was certainly different. Um, <laughs> I haven't met too many people who kind of entered the Royal Navy as a kid, or at least as a teenage kid, um, <laughs> and sort of ended up doing the sorts of things that I do, that you do. Um, but yeah, I, I'd studied uh, psychology and sociology and anthropology and all of those kind of things and um, um, at university. And uh, after a... Um, um, some fun games in a foreign land, um, I'd thought I'd better grow up. And uh, so I joined the Navy and, um, you know, went to sea and did all that kind of stuff. And it was it was a uh, it was an education in lots of different things. But I honestly, <laughs> th- I, I honestly think that, you know, I probably appreciate it more retrospectively than maybe I did at the time. Um, but yes, eventually, you know, came out of that. And What uh, did you want to do when you grew up that it... You know, what? had you studying anthropology and psychology and energy in the Navy? I'm still working out what I want to do when I grow up, to be honest with you. Because joining I don't know. the Navy sounds like the least creative thing that I could think of. Yeah, thank you. It's, um, so, it's so regimented, I can imagine. Well, it is, it is. But you know what? Regimentation and creativity can sometimes go together, yeah. even okay. though you wouldn't necessarily think it. But I certainly didn't join the Royal Navy to, you know, with a sort of a creative point of view. Unless I felt there was sort of a creative, uh, creative approach to career development, um, it was some. You know, there was a bunch of stuff that had been happening in my life, and I felt that it, there was a need to um, to explore, yeah, um, to do 
something different. And I think, to be completely honest, the fact that, you know, when I was having my year out, Top Gun was the number one movie. <laughs> and I happened to be living in San Diego at the time. It was like, really? going, wow, check out those white suits. You lived in San Diego and then went back to the mm. the real name. Mm. So was, did, you, yeah. did you buy a pair of aviators and go, go straight ahead? Or? I had the aviators already. I didn't use them. <laughs> so really my career choice was as, you know, futile as that to be honest with you. But, you know, I mean, it was it was a huge amount of fun. And yeah. uh, it was a, uh, a chance for me to... Um, to to see a lot of different things yeah. from a very unique perspective. And I make this big mistake all the time. Um, do you want to explain to everyone exactly what you do? Because I'm going to launch into a thousand questions because mm. you and I have known each other for a while. But what, you know, obviously you work in the public relations industry, mm. but it's probably a little broader than that as well, what that agency in particular is, is on a journey for. So why don't you break it down for us? Well, yeah, I mean, it's always the, you know, the easiest questions are most difficult to answer, right? And I, I basically, we're in the business of shaping opinion. That's mm-hmm. what we do. Um, we help organizations and individuals and uh, other entities um, to ensure that they have the opportunity to tell the story that they want to tell. Um, and just like advertising, in, in that sense, you know, it is a chance for us to help those organizations tell that story in a way where they can shape opinion and and obviously in doing so benefit their own organization. And what's what's your role within within Webishamic? Um I've had lots of different roles. I mean I you know I've been with the company for a long long time. <laughs> As you know. Is it um, is it 20 years? It is 18. Years. <laughs> it is 18. How but old only, is Webishamic? Only because Webishamic wasn't invented 20 years ago. <laughs> Strangely enough, it was invented 18 years ago. So you've been there since day one? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You were there, like, the, you were was. there the, the day it was, became Weber and Shandwick joined. So who owns Weber Shandwick? IPG. Yeah, IPG, it's okay. in public group. So it's a, you know, it's it's a fabulous organisation and, and I say that in all honesty. Yeah. Um, for the simple reason that if it wasn't, you know, you're not going to stick around for 18 years. I mean, it... it it's quite a horrific thought for me to, me to actually think, <laughs> my God, I'm staying with one organization for 18 years. But you know what? Why not? When a company gives anyone the opportunity to explore different things, to do different things, to take on different roles, to have different responsibilities, then why move? I think a lot of people feel that in career development, they need to sort of move from place to place to place to expand mm-hmm. their mind, to think about things differently, to, to be to topic, you know, maybe even to, to explore different areas of creativity. But when you have the opportunity to be with an organization that really allows you to do a very, very different role, mm. in my uh, instance, probably every three years or so, mm. then why not? And, and actually, this, this goes back to a question that we've asked everyone from like Fred Shabesta, who runs or founded Finder.com, mm. to Elizabeth Powell, who is doing her own thing and... Do you think there's a gen- and, and and Weber Shanwick again? Just a little lift behind the curtain is, is primarily made up of a lot of younger people, kind of you know classic millennial. Do you think there's a generational thing in that that we're starting to miss, or do you think that's something that organisations can kind of still show their people that they're valued for a long period of time? I think so. I mean, I think you, you know, I don't. I- know the data specifically but Sorry, I we think make it, up everything on this show no that's great well i can make up the data and tell you that you know the average tenure for any individual is 2.89 years for an organization now between the age group of 18 and 25 which is a core core talent within public relations yeah. that if you say something with conviction people will believe you 
Um, As my dad used to describe it, spin doctors, Alex. That's what public relationship uh, is. They're spin doctors. Good bone to pick there, Alex. That wasn't even planned. (laughs) There is no spin, only accurate information. Um, (laughs) Accurately spun. Accurately represented. That's all it is. You'll never hear me say spin unless unless we're talking about motorcycling, which is another another conversation. Um, What was the question? Millennials, are they (laughs) fucking it all up or are we okay? Uh, oh, that's an even bigger question. Um, should they stick around with 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 companies? Should companies do more to ensure that they do stick around? I look. I mean, what concerns me honestly is I think there's a a lot of people. Um, well, f- first of all, there's the old cliche, of, you know, war for talent, talents won, and it it has that continues to be the case. The ability to find people, not just in our company or our, or our industry, but certainly more broadly in media, who are able to. Um, you know, make a positive impact on what you're actually doing. It's, yeah. it's a tough thing to do, right? You've got to, you've got to, a lot of, there's a lot of companies spend a huge amount of money sort of on brand and, ex, and projecting this mm. view of what their brand is. And then if the experience that an individual has in joining that company is, you know, has no bearing to what they thought the organization was, then of course they're going to go. Um, People jump ship. It's a sort of an expectation. But you know, I mean, I think um, I think large organisations can get neurotic about it. Yeah. Um, you you basically you know when you're hiring people, when you're bringing people into organisations like ours or any creative led organisation, it's not just about the attraction of that talent and retention of that talent and possibly development as well. It's about the identification of that talent from the outset and being very very clear that they know what they're stepping into and that you know what you're hiring. And it is also the recognition that everyone in the world, perhaps with the exception of myself, will eventually leave that organisation. <laughs> <laughs> and when they do leave that organisation, you want them to go out to be a bit of a flag carrier for you. Yeah. And I think if you work on that, that principle that, you, um, that those people are eventually going to leave the organisation and you, you've got to do everything you can to sort of, in effect, transition them out in a positive yeah. way then you're going to do the right thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm a long-winded answer to a, to a short question. but I think a lot of it comes down to size as well, size of organisation, like small businesses. Um, you know, there's a glass ceiling. You, unless someone leaves or dies, you there's only one yeah. certain position in, in that department. And Yeah, I think that's changed a little bit now. I mean, I think with organisations like ours, which used to be very sort of structured around sector expertise, we've completely changed that now. And I mean, I mean this How so? Is, well, in the way where we look more, really almost follow a sort of planning model. So, you know, people who are specialists and experts in research or analytics or planning or strategy or whatever, you know, data uh, development, if you will. And then all the way through to the sort of other end of that, which is distribution of content. Um, whereas perhaps what we used to be was an organization that was structured around practices and a lot of types of agencies like ours are. And that's sort of sector specific. So there's only one way to go for an really? individual in mm. that kind of structure. So that's changed now. Mm, it has changed, wow. yeah, for the better as well. Yeah. So but surely gives- within the organization, if you're an analyst and you're always that's what you do, could you then transition within the company to another role and say, oh, actually, I really want to get involved in creative or production or... Yes. So is there that fluidity within your company at least? Yeah, if that's what people want to do and they show the aptitude to do it, Mm. then yes. And we don't, you know, you don't accommodate people's sort of 
whim if yeah. you've got someone yeah. who's a data expert that you just wouldn't put them in front of <laughs> their mother let alone a client yeah. you know then you probably go <laughs> sorry sorry data expert but do you know but if yeah or, yeah. or quite frankly applies, a yeah or quite frankly a creative as well then you, you know you need to be sensible about it but there is absolutely no reason why people can't have the opportunities to move around organizations what i think is interesting about um it's not a trend, but where I, where I think the issue is for any organization in this kind of area is, is that sense of expectation that some people have, that they, you know, there's an, almost a level of entitlement. We don't see it much within our business, but, you know, it's like, well, I've done this, so I now expect to be able to go, the, to, go to this mm-hmm. quickly. And when you say, no, I, I don't think you are at the level that you think you are, you, you know, people can jump jobs. And sometimes, unfortunately, people jump jobs as much as a middle finger to you as opposed to what's right for them. Um, and, you know, that doesn't work for anyone. And I think that's that big shift that we're seeing now where, and you know, having worked in professional services now for, I worked it out, like it's over 10 years now, and mm. that, that suddenly made me feel very old. Mm. The, mm. Well, the of stoke. course you are yeah, now. Yeah, I am now. Um, but I think that's the big shift that we're kind of seeing is, there used to be that what you're talking about is is discipline change and transfer of skills as long as you've got the aptitude, which is one conversation I think is is easier to have than, well, why aren't I at this level, which is higher above everyone else? And that, that, yeah. that difference between function and rank, if I'm using the terms correctly. And, and I think that's what, certainly when we're speaking to people, it's like, well, you know, corporates expect this or corporates expect that and I don't want to do these things. Do you think there's... Um, do you think people leaving, going there, doing their own things is going to have a, a positive impact or a negative impact on your business? Like, could, could you see yourself hiring those people back in who have run their own business? And the, is that effective? And, and likewise, do you think there's, there's value in people just, you know, going and do their own things and creativity? Yes. In fact, today we've just hired somebody back who left us about two years ago. And it's just, and she's, you know, this individual has stepped back for lots of different reasons. Um, I'm a massive believer in um, curiosity. Right? For me, everything is about, you know, curiosity is about that willingness to um, to go out and explore. It is about the pursuit of the as yet undiscovered. And if that's, you know, climbing into a cave or whether it's actually going to work for another organization, sometimes mm. which can feel like the same thing. Yes. Then, um, as you all know, Johnny, uh, <laughs> then, you, you know, it doesn't matter. Those people are going to come back better, more interested, um, slightly different people, not more rounded people. And I think, I mean, I, when we talk to, you know, we do a lot of work with corporates, as you know, and I think a lot of people are getting this now. I think there yeah. is, when you look more at the sort of a dynamic approach to who comes into the organization and there's a, there's a, a, a recognition that those people are going to could disappear sometimes. It's not that you actively encourage them to do so. It's just to recognize that when they do so, it's not, you know, it's not forever. I really like that correlation between curiosity and creativity. Yeah. And curiosity leads to creativity. It sure does. And I think that, well, I was going to ask, obviously there was a curiosity that led you from going back to, I guess, your story and how you got to where you are. Mm. You left the Navy and then you were curious about another type of life yeah. and how did you get to where you are? What a great thought. I, you know what? I've well, never like even segue. thought, was that thought about segue? this. No, that was yeah. excellent. That was a great segue. And thanks, folks. I we're closed now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, you always patronise me with my no, segues. I'm, but I'm serious, though. That's how sarcastic I am. You've forgotten when I'm serious. 
Anyway, as I mean, Ian is. <laughs> as fascinating it is to observe your little marital tiffs. Um, <laughs> let me just. We keep yeah, that on the that's exactly it. You've got. I mean, it is. The you know the day you stop being interested in stuff, as you might as well hang up your coat and really go home. And it doesn't matter whether it's because you're in the military or because you want to travel or because you want to join the church or because whatever it is. I mean, there is this, as I said, this sort of pursuit of something that is new to you and mm. this of hunger to understand, not because you want to discover a cure for cancer, but because you want you you are. You know, you can draw inspiration from other people's experiences, um, uh, uh, what other people have to say, what, you know, and again, cliche, but failure is a massive part of that. Mm -hmm. You know, your willingness to fail. So many people have said that in the last 18 weeks. I bet you have. I mean, you know, particularly people going off to, you know, set up their own Mm organisations. I've not been brave enough to do something like that. But I think that, and I think for some, you know, it's the fear of failure which prevents them from doing that sort of thing. Um, But... if and where there is a, uh, a a desire to pursue something that's just unlikely, yeah. if you will, then um, people can do the most extraordinary things. You discover as much about more about yourself than than anything else. So on that point, so there are, there's a pretty well known trait through I think I think most prof- industries, professions, disciplines that. People who are incredibly capable often find themselves bored a lot of the time. And I've got a couple of really close friends who master something because they are curious mm. and kind of can't feed that demon or can't, you know, they chase the dragon. Mm. And I, I know in the past we've had similar conversations. Do you have advice for people who find themselves consistently unsatisfied with the world around them? And I, like sometimes it leads pretty dark and can get people, you know, into, into fairly depressive kind of states and, you know, kind of this. Uh, yeah, this eternal hunger. But like, what's your best advice for somebody who is restless, who mightn't have that patience? And I certainly know I, I never used to have that patience. Yeah. I'm a little better now. Mm-hmm. But w- what's your advice for people who, who, who are curious, but almost to a fault? Well, I think you have to give it purpose. I mean, it's all very well and good being curious about things and pursuing things that are different and interesting. But, you know, there's a sense of to what end. It's not just sort of standing in the wind and waiting to see what hits you. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, there's, that, that's, that doesn't, often lead to something you've got to be able to connect it with something i mean there is a there's a really important behavior that curious creative people have and it's not necessarily spoken about very often and i think it's one of empathy yeah and i think empathy is a um this this you know this need to recognize and appreciate what certain things mean to other people and why yeah and if you look for example at japanese culture Mm. which you know we all know it's common knowledge about such an artisan based culture um uh, people pursue excellence in something for a lifetime Particularly, the, I mean, the, from the foodie side yeah. of things, particularly in the that mastery space. of absolutely the ten thousand hours, absolutely all of that stuff. So, so mastery is is something. But even if you look at the whole, you know, the sort of the was it Seth Godin or whatever it was, you know, the sort of the ten thousand hours thing. There is a um, it's usually for a purpose. I think just just hoping that someone's something's going to knock you in the face um, doesn't necessarily work. So. Advice. I don't like giving advice. I don't. I don't. I think as soon as you, prof- you prefer giving prof- wisdom, or? absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, I don't like giving advice, and I'm in, unable to provide wisdom. Although, 
if I keep living, I'll probably you know, <laughs> be at a point where I suppose I've got some wisdom. Um, but there is this, you know, connecting what you're trying to explore with a purpose, mm. really important, and having a level of empathy with others and under- trying to understand with and rationalise why they may be interested in something, even if it's not what you're interested in. That's important. Is that at the heart of what you do for a living? I think so. Tapping into empathy, understanding what your clients and consumers want and then yeah. figuring out how to deliver that in a creative way? Yeah, we're, we're sort of, I wouldn't say we're behavioural psychologists, but you know what? I think if you understand um, through experience, wisdom, training or whatever you want to call it, mm. if you can understand what makes people tick, why they do things and empathise with that as well, then you are far better able to provide, you know, a qualified point of view on why an organisation should do X, Y and Z. So, yeah, I I think all of those things make up um, anyone who has a strength in what we're trying to do. So with with that, and I, yeah, Alex asked you pretty pretty spot on in terms of what you do day to day. But I think one of the most interesting things that certainly you and I have like discussed and shared over the past couple of years is you've kind of entered other creative things now. Mm. And if I'm allowed to say it quite later in life, am I allowed to say that? (laughs) 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 I still get nervous. Um, But I I think for me, like cards on the table, I've been trying to take photos since I could operate, you know, my father's point and shoot with a 35, like a uh, film camera. Mm -hmm. And look, I, I can take a photo but there was something very, there was something very profound that when you started, to, and I can remember exact, I can remember the trip you started taking photos when we were at work and we were on our way to India. Yeah, um, was it was the first time I think I'd seen it in public. Obviously, yeah. So, so you do have a a, a natural skill with photography, and what's that journey been like for you? Like how. how how has that come about? Did you just see a Leica camera and you're like, I really want one of these. The hipster kids have got them. I Do should you have a, a Leica camera? Mm. <gasps> he has a beautiful oh. Leica camera. Your um, photos are beautiful. I've talked to you. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, yes, thanks for that like. I noticed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I, I've it's uh, I've discovered this late in life. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you, because no know one can see you, but yeah. you're, you know, he's not old for no. those, you know. I, I, I know he's not old, but... Not much grey. No, hardly hair. any grey. You've got so full head of hair, hair, lots of luscious brunette hair. What Thank are you, you talking Thank about, you. Jai? Thank you, darling. Thank you. Um, it, yeah, I, look, I think it's a... I'm passionate about it. I mean, I think it's a... Um, I don't quite know what what took me into photography. Um, and like anyone who steps into photography... I mean, quite frankly, anyone who's got a phone now is a f- photographer, right? Like, you know, anyone who's got a laptop is a journalist in some respects. But um, I think that... <laughs> That's debatable. <laughs> Alex, is a little heartbreak. There you go. See, if you were a photographer, I get that Instagram. <laughs> He's getting you back to the other comments. Yeah, but um, there is... Photography is a is kind of about designing with light, really. I mean, there is something that is that kind of blend of science and art with photography, which is an amazing thing. But you, but the reality of it is, and we've talked briefly about, you know, an interest in people and psychology and, and, and so on. And what you do with photography is you fundamentally capture a fleeting moment, a, a moment that will never happen again in history. And I know that sounds sort of painfully profound, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that's why I think, um, in part, you know, Instagram has become such a an interesting platform for people because they are capturing moments and sharing those experiences. I happen to think as well, and you, we've talked about this much, Jay. You know that the Instagram is just another platform where people curate curate their own character for the world to see, but it's usually really a representation of what they think they are rather than what they are, or what they'd like to be, or what they'd like to be. Um, but the sort of photography that I have done um, has actually presented me with the opportunity to uh, have a conversation with people that I would never have had a conversation with. I do remember about. that, yeah. A conversation starter, really. It is. Mm. It but is. I mean, you're talking about the conversations you have with your subjects. Mm. Subjects. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> so dire when I said yes. it. You're, you're, with our royal visitor at the moment, that's an excellent yeah, expression. That's, yes. <laughs> that's topical. This is good. Mm. Um, but you mean with the people you're taking photos of, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. That's and, right. and why was that important to you and, and kind of. Yeah, like, I, how did you make the leap? Why why did you decide that a camera was the right medium? Look, everyone's got a story, and it's in the and the reality is you you know sitting down with people, and um, this is what I mean when I talk about empathy. I think is that um, it, you know I don't know how many people pass us by literally when we're you know traveling through our daily life, but an awful lot, um, and all of those people have had extraordinary experiences or are about to, and, mm. you know, um, I think that just trying to d- d- stopping for a moment yeah, and talking to people. When I talk about curiosity, curiosity is not about going to the moon. That's really about, um, about something quite differently. Yeah. So curiosity is recognizing that, um, the most, um, Simple, straightforward, um, unexpected individuals uh, or moments can actually um, really change your view of a lot of things. And um, so I'm lucky, right? I mean, a lot of people talk about business travel as, oh, what a nightmare it is and all this kind of nonsense. I know you're talking about me. Yeah, yeah. Again, (laughs) everything I'm saying here is referring to... I'm basically talking to you and saying, so listen to what I have to say and you'll be a better I've been trying to hold this in for years and Mm, (laughs) this is the moment. You give me a piece of cheese and look what happens. Um, And great cheese it is as well. It's good cheese, yeah. Provided by our cheese sponsor. And absolutely. Sponsor and yeah. the pineapple as well, but that's a whole nother story of creative thinking and hospitality. Um... But I've had the chance with work to go to lots of lots of places. Um, I'm, it's important for me with what I do that I have the chance to experience those places. I don't just turn up in a country or a, wherever it might be and, you know, go and advise somebody on something about their marketplace I've been to twice. I mean, seriously? No. Let me tell you about tier four cities you, in China. Absolutely. You have to go to... Uh, you know, retail outlets. You have to see what's happening in grocery. You have mm. to go and stand on a train station platform. And I mean, it's a, that's just my take on the world, right? I mean, it, but it, but it's amazing what you see. Um, and I have always done that. Um, I'm the weird guy, you know. <laughs> Why is that strange? <laughs> standing on that plane, train platform at five o'clock in the morning. But you see the most extraordinary things. Mm. And... Um, and often language is a barrier in foreign parts that, that doesn't allow you to actually have a conversation with people. Um, but photography does. Yeah. Um, and so I, 
as I think you know, I mean, I did a I had the chance to do an exhibition last year. Yeah. Um, of your own work. Mm, oh, yeah, which was great. And it was it was a um it was a project that sort of came about from a there's a small village, you know, up on the central coast. Thousands of small villages all around the Australian coastline. And and what's happening with a lot of these places that are near urban centres is that, you know, a bunch of folks like me uh, and you, uh, you know, will turn up at the weekend and have a great time and they'll disappear off. And a lot of local folks sort of just almost go into hibernation. They sort of disappear and the place changes. And then on Monday morning, it kind of transitions back to what it was. And I think that I felt that we we're losing a lot of um, this, that, you know, things are passing us by. Yeah. So what that particular project was uh, was about was about taking photographs of, in that instance, 32 people who lived and worked in that particular place. Um, and they're amazing. Yeah. They were incredible. They they just, they'd all sort of gone to that place because they were looking for something or because they'd run away from something. Yeah. And they had... Um, some of their, some of what they did was just extraordinary. You know, the carpenter who's a national hang gliding champion, the 80 or 90 year old guy who's since passed, unfortunately, who, you know, was quite big in the media world um, and decided that he got so bored at retirement he needed to be in the Harry Potter movies, which he was as an extra. You just, you know, and story after story after story after story. And I said at the outset of this, you know, discussion, my job was really as a storyteller. I mean, I helped people and organizations mm. shape stories that help shape opinion um and what better way to learn your craft than you know talking to a 90 year old storyteller do you have any influences or people who have inspired you in the photography world um no, I, I i wouldn't necessarily say there's any one individual um and i think that there are um there's a very good um, friend of mine who um, I used to work with. He used to work with, uh, with in our an organization in the U.S., a guy called Josh. And Josh is an extraordinary photographer. Um, and he's become incredibly creative in the way in which he uses photography to tell stories. He recently um, went on a road trip um, in the U.S., you know, that kind of thing that we've mm. always wanted to do and throw his camera on the passenger seat and drive with his elbow out of the window into the, you know, sunset and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he did it and he was, um, his project's called America at Work and it's, check it out because it's a, it's a, a glorious both photographic and narrative based story of, uh, of real America. Um, and um, I've always been fascinated by what he does uh, and, uh, you know, but you look at Henry Akate Bresson and, his work, um, particularly with Leica in the 30s or whenever it was, through to people like Steve Curry and his work in the Middle East in sort of the 80s and mm. 90s. Lots of, um, it, I mean, even, I mean, people like Leibovitz, you know, I mean, she has a yeah. um, uh, a real interesting perspective on the work that she does. I think there's a lot of people who have been overly commercialised and perhaps our perspective of them as, you know, celebrity photographers. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, may, I mean, just look at humans of New them. York. I mean, yeah. that kind of brings storytelling to yeah. more of the mainstream. Yeah. Um, and almost brought it into that um, B 
beyond the mainstream and then into kind of like pop culture and then into kind of satire. Yeah. Almost. Did it go so far? I mean, what do you think of Humans of New York? Well, it's storytelling, right? It's visual yeah. storytelling. Um, and that, that's it's what it visual, is. But then it's well, also it's backed off with the backed up with the narrative. Yeah, with well. the narrative and that use of so it's a really media. nice idea. I mean, I think. I mean, you mentioned the, you know, camera brand, and I think that um, there are whether it's Nikon or, uh, or whoever, um, all these. What a camera allows you to do or forces you to do, rather than perhaps a. Um, a phone is it forces you to stop you actually have to look at what it is that you want to shoot mm. whether it's an individual whether it's a landscape or whatever it is you you will benefit from waiting for the light to change and the i mean i encourage people you know next time someone's taking an early morning walk just stand still for three minutes and see how different the light is between 702 and 705. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's not just because it's sunset. I mean, we're at that point now in the year where, you know, the sun's well and truly up by then. But it, but it, it forces you to stop and observe. Um, and it's, it's the theme, isn't it, of our discussion, really, in, in that sense of, you know, what constitutes creativity and, um, but, you know, observation, curiosity, all of these things. And then with the particular camera I have, it's a good old-fashioned manual camera and you know if you want to zoom you've got to walk towards something if you want to zoom out you got to walk backwards um but understanding the relationship between the various settings on the camera as well it's a, it's a, an appreciation of of constructing something well, it's almost a ritual like it's oh. it's not a routine well it, to a degree it's routine but it's almost like it's that uh that focused unconscious state of you don't think about the numbers anymore you think about aperture iso exposure times etc mm, right. and i think not to get totally self-referential like for me and alex this is this is what this moment is mm. like you know you and i have had a thousand conversations over the last you know six or seven years mm. but for alex and i this is our one time to stop and kind of yeah. understand all those stories that are happening around us mm. we don't i mean i think um there is a the, the speed of everything right it it, it if there's one concern that I have about the speed of technology and innovation, if you want to call it that, is it doesn't give us cause to stop and assimilate what's actually happening. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sort of project after project after project after project. And uh, it's so important that people have a chance to step back, look at something, and actually try and connect things to give things a little bit of meaning once in a while. Something that I find really interesting and I'm so guilty of it is this um, real programs need to capture everything. Mm. So I, you know, I need yeah. to capture this dish. I need to capture this um, moment because I, I want to be able to look back and remember it. Mm. But I'm so regularly capturing every new moment that when do we ever get time to go back and look at the moments that we've captured? Yeah, exactly. Do you remember when we had, when you had old school film and you'd print out your photos and then you had them in an album or you had them on your wall and you would look at them more. I've probably got 3000 photos in my phone. I don't know when I ever look at them. I've got 10,000. Yeah. <laughs> That's the number. And I delete, I delete photos, but we're the last, it's really interesting. I, I worked out the day we're the last generation ever do that. Like where, when we were leaving high school, you could already get digital film or digital memory cards. Yeah, and the only way 
uh, physical film is like a, a cool Polaroid camera mm, that yeah. you get as a novelty or something yeah, these which days. Which costs a fortune. Yeah. So, you know, so, so go and print something. Right? Just go and just just give yourself the task and say, and just to see ex- just the process of just go down to a digi director or wherever it is and say, right, these are the f- you can you got to pick out. them out as well. Well, yeah, but but yeah. give yourself that task. But I've got forty five minutes and I'm going to pick out my fav five favorite photos and I'm going to print these things out. And whether you stick them on a wall or put them in an album, it doesn't matter. But I love that idea. Um, I think it's a it's as much about the process of doing that and giving yourself time to stop and look at wonder well, why is that resonating with me so mm. when i so i left as we say every episode so i left australia six and a half years ago almost. did you i wonder where you'd been yeah. <laughs> hong kong uh and as a little thank you to ian he didn't realize i was doing this at the time but uh he had this one shot which i've still got in every house i've ever lived in since then uh, which is we had a name for it. I can't remember what it was. I'll oh, I'll put a photo of it up, but it's one of these photos where it was the first time. You know, it was two thousand and God twelve when I left, I guess. Mm. And you know, I wanted to get Ian something to say, you know, goodbye and thanks. And it was this print, and I had us both done. Mm. And just and I've carried that everywhere. And then I suddenly realised that you don't. And I'm not a I'm not a things person. You're quite like, a minimalist. Yeah, like I mm. like motorcycles and I'll spend a lot of money on them. Mm. But the things I actually share sentiment with is is very is very minimal. And I think for me, just going through, as you said, going through that task of selecting it, knowing we'd had a conversation about it once, I think it was the first trip you'd taken your Lycra away. Yeah. It was in um, yeah, Florence. Florence. And I've still got that picture in my office. In fact, I thought, you know, he walks in with a picture. I thought he was going to resign. He walks in with a photograph and I thought, well, this is great. And then he resigns, as a, you know, and but yeah. gives me the photograph. But it's, it, but it's a, um, which is a great way of doing it. I, I didn't it's, resign. It, I just went elsewhere. It is the biggest yeah. resignation letter, which you framed in effect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just as a reminder. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, it was a kind of mafiosi thing, right? With, a, with yeah. those six old guys sitting there. And that head um, that looks like the, the head, uh, Last but, Supper thing. Mm, that's right. It was a Last Supper thing. And it, it um, yeah, it's. It, but it's a case in point. I mean, it's uh, it, there. You when you when you take something that's digital and you make it tangible, mm. you I think you give more meaning to it. I agree. So, kind of thinking about those things that we that we want to be tangible. Uh, again, one of the other things that you and I have started to talk about, but probably not enough. You did a you did a few other kind of maker courses, and I think the yep. maker movement is kind of coming out again, especially with hipsters aged twenty nine to thirty nine, <laughs> uh, and living in Newtown with enormous beards. But were you you were looking at kind of sh- uh, shoe making and even masonry? At one point, am I making that up? Yeah, you're making that up. Oh, okay. Mm. Shoemaking, no. <laughs> um, I tell you, who did look at shoemaking? Uh, though was you didn't da- say it with enough conviction. Yeah, otherwise, you might have believed there you go. it. Ian, <laughs> you're a shoemaker. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about Ian, that. Ian, size ten. Sh- need three of them. Daniel Day. Why would I say three? So. Daniel Day Lewis became a shoemaker. Um, well, no, but it, but it, but you know, there's a sort of a, you know, there's an artisanship on that. Yeah. Um, no, I did. Um, <laughs> I did another. Thing. I, yeah, I um, I built a motorbike. That was pretty, wow. you know, artisan based. I take guess. You? Well, with the support of someone, <laughs> a little, a little <laughs> less wanna, time than I thought it I might. I didn't want to blow it in. And say no, paid someone to, to, no, right. but you know, there was a there was a process of creation there, and that I spent a hell of a, long, a lot of time working out what it would be and 
didn't just sort of leap into anything. And, and then the process of sourcing things, you know, to help you create what you want to create, that was a, that became a really um, enjoyable um, pursuit. Now, as, as it was, I had to, you know, get someone to help me um, on certain parts of building that thing, which is as much as a health and safety issue as anything else. You don't want to be hurtling out the F1, you know, thinking, <laughs> did I actually screw that bolt in tight enough? These and wheels feel great. These, these wheels, I'm not sure they're supposed to be wobbling quite yeah. like that as I go around that corner. But, um, yeah, it's, a, you know, the, the, the process of curation and then build you know, yeah. there's a relationship between those two things. Definitely. Um, I've known you for less than two hours, but you don't strike me as someone who just goes out and does something on a whim. I mean, you've got to like a camera. You sound like you've got a fancy motorbike. Um, you're obviously looking for creative outlets, but you're quite process-driven and do your research around that. Am I, I right? I do, but you know what? I'm, I'm painfully the most spontaneous person you would ever Are know. You? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, I think I'm probably in, I didn't get that vibe from in you. force of... Well, I... You, you haven't seen his credit card bill. <laughs> so I need it. I'll have it. I'll, yeah. um, Which is like every other conversation we had. I hope my wife doesn't see this. Yeah, she, she's listening to she's this. She's not right listening. Now. It's fine. It's chances are, darling. Um, yeah, it's a, look. It's a bit, bit of both, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you know, no, you, you kind of got to be are methodical. Like I, I think about me. things. Yeah. 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 Well, I think about the consequences of things. But you know what? I'm a kind of... I do. <laughs> I, did, I did hear that. Though. I have to think about the consequences <laughs> of stuff. Um, yeah. You know, I've got kids and I kind of need to, you know, think about certain things. But talk things. us through but, your, your process around discovery, research, build. Yeah, you decide that you want to build a motorcycle. Mm. How do you, what's your process for getting there? You obviously do a lot of research. You figure out what kind of motorcycle you want to build. Yeah, I mean, I think rather motorcycle, maybe the photography thing is probably an easier way of explaining it, although they, they run similar patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, you very often, it's not a case of I know what this is going to look like. I mean, I wouldn't so necessarily, you know, instantly visualize something. Mm. But for whatever reasons, I guess, you know, I, I kind of have a fairly clear point of view of what that something is. And inspiration can come from the most bizarre and remote and ambiguous of sources where you go, you know, it's not just about material acquisition. This is no. just about anything. And do you think that, that and something sticks with you? It's just something resonates and you don't quite know why. Yeah. Why is it that a particular novel resonates with you? It touches on something that's very often incredibly deep-seated that mm. you, you don't even, you're not even aware of. Um, and does this, you know, does the photographic thing um, stem from something? Yeah, the photographic exhibition that I did, and I'll tell you exactly where that came from beyond what I've talked about. When I was a kid, there was a friend of mine, and in his sort of bedroom study thing, um, he had a picture of Ernest Hemingway. Hanging a black and white photograph of Ernest Hemingway <laughs> hanging he over his do desk. As a teenage kid. Ah, well, he's gone on to do achievements, bugger all. But anyway, that's, not, that's the point. But he, but that's what he had uh, hanging over his his desk. And this just stuck with me. This this really powerful black and white image. Um, and it wasn't the sort of the stock Hemingway picture that most have seen. Yeah. Um, when I sort of began to think about this particular photographic project, I saw somebody 
who looked very similar. An really? old guy who lived in the village. And it started from, I need to take that photograph. And I didn't even register it was because there was a Hemingway thing. It was just, I need to do that. And then that kind of led to, well, you know what? It, it, it transpired that this guy moved to Australia in 1971. He was part of the um, exodus of Russian Jews. Um, Brezhnev wow. kicked them out and into Israel. And, you know, um, and again, another amazing story. Mm. Um, and as a consequence of that, you know, I had the chance to talk to this person and began to think, well, how many other stories are there yeah. here? And, you know, there were one or two people as I began to approach who said, no, 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 I still have interest in such and such a political movement. I wouldn't, you know, I don't want my photograph anywhere. Others were, you know, it's like, certainly darling. Sure, of course, I would, you know, lovely. Clothes or yeah, no clothes. <laughs> Do you want me dressed yeah. or anything? Um, my buyer and bike. Uh. You know, so these, so I think sources of inspiration come from very deep-seated experiences that many of us just don't, kind of even connect with until something a moment makes us go ah and even then we don't necessarily imagine what that is i don't know where the motorcycle thing came from i really don't i know you and i rode a motorcycle the same year and it was uh, yeah i chose the harley davidson and you're on the ducatis and it was a very interesting uh yeah but um but you know why i don't know yeah do you you think you've always been creative yeah Mm. um i know that sounds a little bit out there well just i don't know sure um but i think i think it's okay <laughs> thanks um i think it's funny really i mean would you what say I, you've always been creative jack definitely like, uh, the, the ridiculous thing is when somebody asked me because i only got into brand strat uh, like a, a few years ago but i found the other day and i'd always remembered it but when i was five years old i created a club with my neighbors it's called the Boys Only Club. Could <laughs> you imagine you're doing that now? now. Like, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Uh, we had, I made cards for everyone, like business cards. We had posters. <laughs> and there are, there's, there's 20 years of drawing from me that just mm. exists. And yeah. it, 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 it's hilarious. You know, when I got into hardcore advertising, it's like, oh, no, you're on the other side of the fence. You, you, are, you are not a creative because these guys are creative. I'm like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Like, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is obscene. But... Well, that's the thing. You're kind of put into streams, right? As you go into careers, you're put into streams. And you were talking about this and how yeah. how do you accommodate people moving across an organisation? And um, the, the the creative thing is um, is a case in point. I mean, I'm a big believer that if you if you put if you create an innovation department or you create a creative department, this is where I think a lot of agencies have changed now then what you're in effect doing is you're isolating that skill set. And what you've got to, you have to find a means where you can break down all of those silos and let creativity or innovation or whatever is flow. We've all been creative. You know, I mean, it was Sir Ken Robinson who, was it 2006 where he did that TED talk where he was talking about, you know, his, um, about, you know. His, we don't grow into creativity. We you grow, grow out, out of it, it. yeah. And he's absolutely right. You you look at well, it's beaten out of you. You're told that if you if you if you make something up, it, it's it's not yeah. okay. So you're streamed, and, and 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 I tell you why this is so important now, and why we we really and that was 2006 when he did that. Yeah. 2000, which is scary, right? But 2018, um, you, you know, some of the stuff we're doing around workforce automation, the consequences of artificial intelligence, which is real, 
um, and the impact that that has on workforce automation and more menial tasks, if you will. Um, you know, we've all heard stories about, you know, there won't be any lawyers around and doctors will be able to, you know, lose their, their jobs in, in, in certain areas. But the fact of the matter is it puts creative thinking really at the forefront. Exactly of, what we're talking about with Michael. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. It it's, an, it's an imperative. I mean, mm-hmm. sure, I get the fact that, you know, um, some form of AI-based um, intelligent machine may be able to learn how to create a Rembrandt and what perhaps he might project to have, have painted if he was still here today. But the reality of it is that creative thinking is more important today than it ever has been. Totally. And the thing is, the argument is so redundant anyway, because as soon as we entered the Industrial Revolution... Lots of people lost their jobs. Mm. But what it did was it created new jobs, which yeah. is the white-collar job, and guess what that did? It mm. only created made... PR consultants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven forbid. Uh. But I, I think that's the next phase, and yeah, pe- people, you know, I think just say they're terrified of it because they're unsure of it. But well, it's the fourth it's... industrial revolution, right? Mm. And um, and that, that you know, that's that's what it is. I'm eating all your biscuits. Is well, I ate all the biscuits. Yeah, um, yeah so, so creativity, absolute paramount. But yeah, we, everyone is four years old. Right? You ask them. Um, <laughs> I, I ask them all the time, all the four-year-olds in my life. Or if you can't ask them, watch them. Of course they're creative. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, so and- it's, it's, it's how we learn to survive. It, mm. it, it is, a, is a primal instinct as much as it is a social instinct. Mm. So it's what we do with it and our ability to sort of tap back into perhaps what we used to be, to unlearn streaming, mm. um, which I think will help people become a little bit more creative. So what do you think is the number one killer of creativity? Um, structure. I, I'm surprised you said that only because mm. I am. <laughs> what do you think it I'm is? I'm fucking leaving now. <laughs> um, only because I think, and again, this is a bit self-referential. Said from the man who worked, who was originally in the navy, where you had all the mm. structure. Oh, that's perhaps why I'm because not in the navy anymore. Yeah. And again, not to split words, but I think institutions can kill creativity, but I think structure can give creativity a lot of meaning. Only because that's probably what I had to learn a lot of the time, which was structured creativity and structure and, and, and creativity and structure produces an outcome. Well, the, yeah, but the, that's diff, that's different, right? That's that's content um, because the the application of creativity in structured means allows you to create an output. But creative thinking is not about, in my humble opinion is not directly about structure and I do think it kills it and the reason is is that very often the best form of creativity is when you look at a very different context and see how something works in that context and thinks if I applied that context to that thing over there what would that do the best form of creative thinking is when when things are very often turned on their head the best form of advertising the stuff that we respond to the best form of any kind of engagement you know Mm. particularly in a such a noisy environment is when you create something that is the least expected not because it's shock horror but because it is or necessarily even countercultural, but because it is the reverse of what you might otherwise expect and so that all creative thinking doesn't have to be the reverse Mm, of something but you've got to have that kind of inherent permission and you only get permission from yourself to look at something completely differently and usually apply it to something something else. Yeah. And if you create 
structure. Um, and whilst that structure is valuable in terms of the delivery of an output, if you, if you over, over egg the structure piece, you are going to constrain people's ability to be to let that creativity flow. But I think that's where, and, and I agree with everything you've said, but I think it's just more you can have an outcome rather than an output of creative. Because creative thinking only allows you to drive home, I'm sorry, not even drive home. Creative thinking allows you to, to, to create something different, right? And, and I don't think that's necessarily a thing you can, can see and touch sometimes. I think it's sometimes an outcome of a decision, a, a, mm-hmm. a direction of a business. And yeah. I think that's where certainly creative departments in advertising, you know, to your point, I totally agree. As soon as you tell some people they're creative, it tells everyone else they're not creative. And I think as soon as we become output focused with creative, that really does lose all its merit. Whereas if you're trying to solve a, a problem for a, I don't know, some multinational who's in commercial strife, mm. creativity in that, in, in that regard produces a very different outcome rather than necessarily a bit of content. Yeah, okay, a couple of things. I mean, um, it's not for me to disagree with your um, <laughs> brain power, um, but I will just for the sake of entertainment. Um, I think that I, my view on creativity in organisations like ours uh-huh. is that it has to be, there, there needs to be a purpose associated with it. Um, I don't think I don't associate purpose with structure. I think creativity in the structure, a structured means of creative thinking, mm-hmm. can be problematical. Um, I think people, <clears throat> where structure allows people to uh, to be compelled to do something a little bit differently, then you could argue the case that a level of structure helps. But within organi- within commercial organisations, predominantly the ability to apply creative thinking with a some level of outcome in mind is essential. Otherwise, it's just stuff. Art, yeah. right? It's not in, business. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've all got to eat. This conversation you have with somebody, if you want to do art, you can go work somewhere else, but mm. you got to sell bacon, kid. You can't buy motorcycles. You can't. You too. <laughs> no, no cameras or anything. So for... We've kind of touched on a few things. We've touched on mm. what does creativity mean with society? What What is the PR business and more broadly kind of agency business doing for, for creativity? But, you know, I think kind of to draw a line under this, what what's your advice? Like, there's one question. It's a totally loaded question I'm going to ask you. Is everyone creative? Yes. And therefore, people who don't think they're creative, what should they be looking at? Or what should what questions or what beliefs do you think they should be having with themselves? Um, I think that's a good question. I mean, I, I it really comes back to the curiosity piece. I think everyone is creative. I think everyone is inherently creative. Some, perhaps, you might argue, are more creative than others. Um, if that amounts to, you know, there are some people whose work you would hang on your wall and others perhaps you wouldn't. But that's not really a definition of creativity. Um, that's just, you know... Definition of definition decor. Of, definition of, of, of styling. That's yeah. more of a Bell magazine proposition than anything else. Um, but I, I think that, um, as I said, creativity is driven by your willingness to look at things differently. And if you're going to look at something differently, you actually have to look out the window in the first place, which is really where the curiosity bit comes. So if anyone is in any doubt of their um, creative 
merit, if you will, then they just perhaps need to push the boundaries a little bit about their own exploration. I'll give you a case in point. Um, I sat down with a group of our folks uh, in a North Asian market, um, and there was probably 30 people in that room. And I asked, I asked all of them to put, you know, said, right, split the room. Who's gonna, who puts their hand up if I ask if you're a scientist and who thinks they're an artist? And there was one person thought they were an artist and everybody else thought they were really? a scientist. Um, this and the local team? In the, the, yeah, it was the local team. Yeah. No, 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 it was a local team. Um, and we kind of had this discussion and by the end of this discussion, it was like, well, okay, well, so who now considers themselves to be the artist? Yeah. But the reason that that view changed mm. is because the leadership had actually left the room at that, yeah. that part. Mm. So suddenly everybody was quite happy to say that really they were an artist. Really? And why is that? Because I think there's something about this sort of definition of creativity in commercial land that whilst we all kind of you know recognise it's important moving forward, it sort of feels very nondescript. I and mean, we've just spent the best part of an hour talking about it. And it's like, well, how do you define this? What does it mean? What does that mean for my job? You know, whereas if I'm a strategist, then I'm a person with process and I can do this. And easily defined. It is easily defined, no whereas process. creative, perhaps less so. So I think creativity sometimes in industry can be seen to be... Um, Privilege? Uh, yes. And, and not so much unnecessary, but a bit of kind of a lack of focus, whereas strategy is considered to be structured and smart and intelligent. We talk a lot in our business about, you know, the combination of those two, which is intelligent ideas. In other words, you've got to have creativity, you've got to have an idea that's been grounded in, in you know, in, in strong creative thinking that is has a purpose. And therefore... That purpose is, is defined by the data or the insights or the research or whatever it is that we actually have brought to bear. Mm-hmm. You apply creative thinking to create a particular output. It's an intelligent idea because it is, you know, fabulous and brilliant and creative, but it's designed to achieve something. So, so I've, and I've got to ask specifically, what were the things that you said to that team that made them change their opinion about themselves? Because... The leadership leaving on one area, but I assume you painted a criteria that said, if you are these things, therefore you may be more of an artist than... I talked to them about them. I, you know, you ask a lot of questions, really. I mean, I think if you're... Um, creativity, you talk to people, some people about creativity, you might as well be asking them about their sex life. I mean, it's like, oh, I can possibly you, talk about it. <laughs> but it's it, it, you couldn't, you know, it's it's a... It's difficult for people to um, often talk about because they see they consider it to be a an in, you know an invitation to be judged. Yeah, it's a, so show me the output of that. It's vulnerability, thinking. isn't it? And we've talked about this on another yeah. podcast where it's you know you standing up and getting your artwork rejected um, for the first time at the age of mm. five, or someone laughing at you standing up and performing mm. um, at a concert and singing your heart out, or you know it's those mm. things that we've all had as mm. children mm. when we've ever tried to show any sort of um, yeah. creativity. It's some, not everyone's going to like it. You get knocked no. back at once. So you, as adults, those feelings resurface. And well, this is so. We said this earlier. You know we. Um, 
you're asking the question is where does creativity come from and i think it comes from the recesses very often of your childhood and your and all so much of it does right and your reaction to certain things often without you realizing mm. stem from an experience that you had when you were five yeah i think one of the i've loved having you on to on the show today and i think one of the biggest things that i've taken away from this is yeah the curiosity element through curiosity comes creativity and in order to be curious, you've got to lift your head up and look out the window. Yeah, you know. I think. I <laughs> think. Yeah. Step back, take mm. a look, and and be uh, be curious. Mm. Do something different. Right? Do something. We all get very. We take the same bus route. We you know we take the same journey. We read the same magazines. Um, uh, social media is a is is the worst offender, and that you know cur- curates what it is that that we are telling it. In mm. effect, that we want to read or see or hear. Um, and so in many respects, we are beginning to narrow our ability to become more creative by the fact that so much of our information source is being created, uh, uh, curated for us um, through data sources. And um, that's a problem. Go and stand on a different platform than you normally do on a train station. And catch the wrong train catch and the wrong get train, home see what late. Happens. That's, that's, that's the advice on this podcast. <laughs> and keep your job in the same time. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on this episode, Ian. It's been wonderful. And thank you for listening, as always. If you've really loved this episode, why don't you send it to a friend, perhaps someone who is searching for some advice on how they can become more creative. <laughs> some wisdom, some advice. Yeah. Um, or maybe you've, you know, you've got some feedback or you've got a point of view that you want to share with us. You can uh, hit us up at Double Star Co is Jai on Instagram and I'm Ms. Darlinghurst, MS Darlinghurst. And your Instagram, Ian, let me bring it up. It's Ian. Dot. Ra- Dot Ramsby. I don't. Is it dot Ian dot Ramsby? Yeah, it no, it's not. You don't have a dot yeah. in there. Do I not? No, it's your email. Address. No wonder I don't have any likes. Uh, no, I've just started following you before, and Probably it's not me. for. Uh, don't <laughs> listen to him. He doesn't know his own Instagram. It's actually <laughs> Ian Rumsby. So R U M S B Y. No dot in there. And we'll be back next week with another another episode of Maker and Creator. Thanks, Thank guys. You. Thank Thanks, you. Ian. Thank Bye. You. Bye.